Hope you guys had an incredible uh, Christmas. I saw some families coming in uh, with some of you. It's great to have all of you guys here. I, I want to make sure you understand, uh, especially if it's your first time, what, what we're about to do. Um, if you're used to the, the church setting, um, this, is, this is known as the, the, the sermon time or something. And um, I'm, I'm bothered by how um, culturally we approach this time as if um, man has some sort of power uh, in and of himself to woo people. I, I just I want to remind us of what we're doing. Tonight we're going to study God's Word because God's Word is powerful. What God's Word says about God's Word is that it's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. So my opinions and my thoughts this evening uh, pale in comparison to the reality and the truth and the power of God's Word, which is true, real, and changing and shaping lives. That's my interest tonight. I don't like want this to be a, like, a sermon time. I desire my life and yours to be changed not by man's words, but by God's word. Does that make sense to everybody, okay? So listen, I know some of you are here uh, back on Christmas break. It's great to have you here. I know some of you guys have been here a hundred times. Some of you won. No matter where you're at, it's going to be necessary for you to reach over and strap on the seatbelt because we're, we're getting ready to take a journey, all right? Here we go. I fear that many of us spend most of our existence in this reality, in this reality, all right? You, you spend almost the majority of your life on one side of the fence, consistently thinking about how something else is going to be better. Uh, Something else different from my current situation, uh, status, place in life will be greener. Uh, We do this in a lot of ways. Uh, I want to go ahead and speak on behalf of the Cubs fans of America. Um, Anyone else here a Cubs fan, just so we can be brethren and sisterin? Okay, we have one there. I see some floggings happening. So, for um, so I'm a Cubs fan, and I do want to I do want to note that uh, in the past few weeks, as the Cardinals, uh, as, as the Cubs have gotten all of the Cardinals players, um, it's it's become curious to me on why all the Cardinals are leaving the Cardinals and coming to Chicago. It must mean that something really really good is gonna is gonna happen in Chicago which is what Cubs fans always say, right? Cardinal fans, right? We're always thinking next year will be greener. We're always thinking the pasture will be brighter. And I I will go ahead and prophesy, not in the Lord, but in myself, that next year will be our year. Um, (laughs) So some of you guys do that with seasons, right? You you get to the end of spring, and you're just like, oh, I can't wait for summer. You know, I can't wait. We can go to the pool. We're out of school. We get to do our thing in the summer. Then when it gets to the end of summer, you're like, oh, I'm tired of of sweating. I can't wait for fall. Oh, the fall, and I've got a convertible, and, you know, my hair can blow in the wind. And then towards the end of of fall, you're like, no, but winter, because you love the movie Frozen, and you you love the soundtrack, and you want to be, like, taken there, right? Like, it's as if we're never... We're never really present where we're at. Um, if you ever have a kid, or if you have a kid, or have three like I do, you walk through those seasons as your kids grow up, okay? Uh, the first is like, oh my goodness, it, you know, once, once we get past this like diaper stage, once everyone's potty trained, it's, 
Like life is going to be amazing. And then you realize it's not because then they pee on the toilet, right? And then, and then, then you're like, oh, I can't wait till, till we get out of teething stage because, oh, dear heavens, if I have to spend one more night with my kid teething. And then they get out of teething stage and, and then they grow an attitude. And I mean, what, whatever, right? It's like, it's like we're never really present where we're at. We're always wondering maybe if something will be better. It happens in all aspects of life, just to name a few. Some of them are this. Um, some of you guys think that about your job, right? hate your job, you're consistently looking over the fence, wondering maybe there's a better job out there, maybe if I, if I just had this place in life, then some of you guys certainly feel that about school, many of you guys are right in the heart of feeling that about your family, you're sitting around the Christmas dinner table and, and like, oh my goodness, right, like what blew up and became my family, I, I'm not sure, um, but I, I, it has to be better in another situation, some of you guys feel that about marriage, uh, certainly in this room, there's some relationships, right, where you're like, yeah, I don't know, this, this one that I'm with is kind of all right, but if, if I could just, you know, if we could figure this out over here, then that, that would be the best thing ever. Some of you guys feel that about money earned. I know many of you guys earn about a buck fifty a week, so you're wondering about that, uh, your living situation. And certainly right before, right on the, the hearth of New Year's, uh, personal appearance and all the New Year's resolutions. Um, here's my contention I'm wondering if you spend the majority of your life looking over the fence and then you climb over it to what you thought was going to be a greener lawn, a greener pasture, better life, only to find another fence. And what I'm wondering is how many of you are incredibly exhausted tonight because you're wondering why this pattern can't be broken, one fence revealing another to reveal another And tonight, many of you feel stranded. Many of you feel deserted. Uh, Many of you feel lost. Uh, This is Corinth. Okay, let me explain. We study books of the Bible here. And we've been studying 1 Corinthians. If you're unfamiliar, Corinth is a hot mess. Okay? Uh, Paul uh, preaches there. The gospel all of a sudden shows up in Corinth. And Corinth, just uh, could, could someone go in the office area and ask those folks to quiet down a little bit, please? That'd be great. It's like sounds like people are dying back there or something. Um, and next slide. This is the map of Corinth, just so we're all on the same page here. Next slide, if you can. Um, so Corinth is right there on the lower left. The next slide will show us really what puts Corinth on the map. It's an isthmus, okay? Uh, my favorite social studies term. Uh, an isthmus is like a connection of two bodies of water with land. And uh, I've shown before, there's actually this this like now like this narrow four-mile stretch, uh, this bridge almost, uh, kind of a canal that connects these two bodies. But Corinth is a mess in part because it's a port city on both sides, which means it's become a hotbed of debauchery all over the place. Okay? But really what has made Corinth such a mess is you have all of these people that have become new believers, but they, they're like attaching themselves to humans or to man or to teachers Uh, They're not really adhering to the power of the gospel, and they're just kind of like making their way uh, without much direction, or at least errant direction. And what we've been studying in in recent weeks is, uh, what's happened in a lot of of marriages is there's been a person that's come to Christ, and, and then Paul has tried to give instruction to what the marriage is now. You have one believer and one non-believer. And they're wrestling and they're struggling because what's happened is in Corinth, what, they, what apparently they want to do is just like start fresh with everything. Like I've come to Christ and I think the gospel says that I just need to get rid of everything. 
So I need to get rid of my marriage, and I need to get rid of my job, and I need to get rid of these relationships, and we're, we're just going to start fresh. But, but that's not what the gospel says uh, altogether, and tonight we're going to discover that. And um, seriously, I, I, I feel in my heart that many of you, like this night has been waiting for a long, long, long time for you, okay? And so no matter where you can, you've come from, no matter what you think this is all about, I hope and pray that God will lure your heart to himself tonight. So open your Bibles, all right? Turn your phones, whatever your means, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to study a a very short section, verses 17 to 24. Just after all this teaching on lawsuits and marriage, and then Paul, under the premise of live as you are called, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Beautiful, beautiful text. Only let, Paul says... Each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. A called is a Christian cuss word. Uh, Here's what I mean. It's going to show up a bunch in this text. I hear people use the word called in every scenario. God called me to do this. God called me to break up with you. God called me to paint my face at the game. God called me. People use the God called card all of the time. Okay? And all of a sudden, take, take the God calling card and just start using uh, the voice of God and applying it to whatever situation they desire, whatever situation you desire. Here's what I've learned and adhere to. I am very, very, very slow to put words in God's mouth that he may or may not be saying or directing. But we use it because it has power. Right? I mean, if you go into a relationship, you're getting ready to break up, and you say, God told me to do it, it's really hard to rebut that, right? Well, God told you to do it. I, you know, I don't know what to say then. I, I, I guess, okay, and me and Jesus can talk about it, right? Like, it's kind of weird, okay? At the moment you say, oh, no, God has for sure called me to do this. Okay, well, one thing is clear, the Scripture. So our calling in the Scripture is, is clear. These are things that God has called us, but I'm very, very slow to use it in other terminology. But it's going to be a huge word as we study this text tonight. So he says again, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my, what's the word he uses? Rule in all the churches. So in other words, you have all of these new believers that are desiring a a complete clean slate. Get rid of my marriage, get rid of my job, get rid of all this. And what Paul is instead saying is this. Look at this. Next slide. What about your circumstances must change to serve God? And what Paul is going to say very, very clearly is this. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, But no, I need to change this and then I'll serve God. Or I need to get in this situation and then I'll serve God. Or I just need more time and then I'll serve God. We are infamous at statements like this. Next. We're infamous with these. I'll be able to serve God when you fill in the blank. When I pay off my student debt, when I you know, finally have uh, this situation, when my boss finally lets me off work, then, then I'll be able to serve God. What the people in Corinth were saying is, if I just get out of this marriage, then I'll be able to serve God. If I can you know, stop finding myself in prostitution and, and, and the like and all the things that were part of my, my life in court, then I'll serve God. All kinds of stuff. I'll, I'll have more time when. 
I mean, some of you guys have, have used this statement up and down. Oh, I'll, I'll have more time, you know, when the semester's over. I'll have more time after the Christmas break. I'll have more time. And then you get to those seasons or those instances, and what happens? Well, it's like, where did time go again? Okay. Uh, many of you say, oh, I'll be more selfless. I'll be more sacrificial. Uh, God, I promise you know, you like walk into the gas station and you're looking at the lottery tickets and you're like, God, I promise, right? If you hook a brother up right now with, the, with that lottery ticket, I will, God, I will give back one and a half percent. I promise, I swear. You know, Lord, I, I, you know I've been praying for this car. God, when you, when you bless me with that, then I will be selfless. And finally, many of you guys say this. I can't wait till I'm out of this season. I'm kind of getting frustrated with the term season. What it implies is that I'm not grateful for where I'm at. What it implies uh, when I say it and when some of you is that God has somehow forgotten about you. That God doesn't care. that That he like turned his back, shunned you, abandoned you, which is never the case. But again, the issue in Corinth is God can't use me right now. I'm not going to serve God. I got stuff to do, people to see, time to waste. I can't wait till I'm out of the season. Then I will be able to. I'm going to propose to you tonight that many of you, many of you, your entire existence is dominated by statements like this. Let's say it this way. Next slide. Do you feel you spent most of your time waiting? Hesitant, reluctant, not freed, held back, bridled. You feel like you have spent most of your life, most of your time waiting, waiting on the right situation, waiting on the right timing, waiting on the, the summer solstice and the, you know, the planets to kind of find measure somehow like the reality is many of you feel like you've spent most of your life waiting. Pause a different message for you, an encouragement for you, maybe even a rebuke. He says this in verse 18, now that he's set his principle clear. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? It's always fun when we talk about circumcision, right? It's always kind of interesting, right? It always kind of gets a little awkward. Why does the Bible talk about circumcision? I'll explain why here in a second. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised. Paul says, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Whoa, that's strange and awkward, right? Well, listen, there's historical evidence, okay, historical evidence that because of how key circumcision was to Judaism, to a Jew, as some of these Jews found out now that, you know, circumcision really isn't the mark of Christianity, because now our hearts, the scripture says, excuse me, the scripture says, is circumcised in Christ. There's historical evidence that some people reverse their circumcision. Right? That's not pretty. Okay? But what they were doing is they were putting um, stock in the physical, thinking that somehow if they changed the physical, that it would have significance in the spiritual. So he, he's reminding them. He's like, why, why in the world would you do that? Look at this. Was any, then he says, uh, in the middle of verse 18, was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not 
seek circumcision. So in other words, you were a Gentile, you came to Christ, and then because some Jews said you need to be circumcised because you'll be part of the covenant people, back to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Paul's like, no, 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 no. You're putting stock in the physical now. It's not, uh, it's, it's pointless now. It's, it's, it's uh, symbolic, but it, it's, it has no bearing on your spiritual relationship. Look at v- verse 19. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the what? Come on. Keeping the commandments of God. You say a line like that, and some of you start like, you get a little twitch. You've associated any text in the scripture about obedience with legalism. And I understand. Uh, Some of you grew up in contexts, whether in your home or in your church community, where the call to obey was always with a pointed finger. Where the call to obey was always with a very loud, angry tone of voice. Where punishment was overbearing, at times abusive. So anytime you even start to hear uh, the terminology obey, you like instantly get this nervous twitch. You begin to think legalism, the very thing that you have longed to run from. I want to release all of us from the burden. Okay. All of the law and the prophets, the scripture says, was fulfilled in Christ. Now our obedience of Christ is a freedom to us, a gift to us. So what Paul says is, listen, don't get distracted by all of this circumcision stuff. Don't get distracted by the lack of circumcision. Get consumed with the freedom of obeying Christ. Let's say it this way. Next slide. Okay. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments in John 14. And I will ask the Father, Jesus said, And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. In other words, he says, faith without works is dead. If you love me, you say you do, you sing you do, you bracelet you do, you bumper sticker you do, you joy FM you do. If you say you love me, then the fruit of that love will be a changed life. We don't change our life to win the approval of Christ. We've gained the approval of God through Christ. And now our response to what Christ has done in his death and resurrection is obedience as a freedom. You guys see? So he says, if you love me, you will show that love and the obedience of my commandments. Perfectly? No. Is there anyone perfect in this room? No. Do we all struggle? Yes. Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? No. Jesus says a helper is coming. I'm not just sending you out by yourself. Even the spirit of truth, he says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you, and I love this, and will be in you. So let me make something very clear. Next slide. In your circumstances, your life circumstances are either a distraction causing distance from God or an opportunity for obedience. How many guys would confess you're a very distracted person? 
Okay, how many of you guys would confess that? Many of which aren't raising their hands now uh, because they're distracted, right? <laughs> what? What? Are you talking to me? Um, yes, actually, I am. Um, I know none of us struggle with this situation or scenario, and I know none of us have ever done this, but let's imagine together for a second. Here's the image I have in my mind. You're sitting at a table with your friend, and you've decided to put your mobile device right there on the table, just in case, right? It's kind of sitting right there, a little off to the side, because you don't want want to be too obvious, right? Again, I know no one's ever done this, but just sitting right there, right? And, uh, And so this person across the table is like absolutely just pouring their heart out. I mean, they're sharing, they're... I mean, they, they start to cry, right? I mean, this is, like, it's, it's intense. And right in the heat of the moment, your phone starts to blow up. You can feel it. You can feel the vibration on the table. You've at least had the decency to put it on vibrate, okay? So you both see the light, right? And you're trying with everything you possibly can to not look down, right? You're, like, engaged. The tears are flowing from your... And then you've learned cla- the, the classic look-down cough, right? <coughs> right? And you... So you so you can get a quick glance, okay? And I, this is spoken from experience, okay? You can get a quick glance, see if it's important enough so then you can excuse yourself to go to the restroom, right? And, and ultimately check your phone or text back or check the FB, whatever it may be, okay? We're very, very distracted people. I liken it to this. God on the other side of the table, consistently, consistently speaking to us. Mark, I don't, I don't hear from God. What do you mean? Mark, I've been waiting for the airplane in the sky, you know, forever. Mark, there's no, like, hot air balloon configuration that spells out my name in confetti, you know. Like, Mark, Mark, what do you mean God's speaking? Always. Always. Always speaking. His voice is loud and clear. Loud and clear. So imagine God on the other side, loud and clear, giving direction, loving us enough to care for us, protect us from some things, expose us to other things. And yet we sit on the other side of the table, distracted by anything that grabs even a slight bit of our attention and can caress our insecurities. If I don't answer this now, maybe they, maybe they won't be my friend anymore. If I don't pursue this right now, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. Like, I can't function like this. And, and just one thing to another, you're like always looking. And here comes a bird, right? And, and then you start thinking about robins for an hour, right? Just like crazy random distractions. That was, that, that's what was happening in Corinth. They were getting distracted by circumcision and all kinds of other things. Instead of seeing their situation now as an opportunity to be an ambassador for Christ, whatever situation, whatever circumstance they were in. Because some of us have the audacity to believe there is no way God could work in this situation that I'm in right now. Oh yeah? Just wait. Give them a chance. I love, love, love when I start to believe in my heart that there is no way that God can do something and lo and behold, without fail, all of a sudden God says, oh yeah? Right? Like, let me show you how I don't need you and how I can bring glory to myself consistently. But Mark, I've given you the opportunity to be an ambassador. Listen, there are some, some of you right now in situations and circumstances, you're like, Mark, you, you don't know. You don't know the pain. You don't know the hurt. There is no way in this particular situation 
that obedience could bring the glory of Christ, that somehow I could, no, it's, it's a complete distraction, and I, I want to beg to differ. We get the chance to be an ambassador that our God is alive. But our distraction tells the world that he's dead. The one thing that the world needs to hear, that a God is alive. And instead they see us looking for any facet of approval, any facet of insecurity caressing. And they believe again that he's dead. Let's say it this way, next slide. Tonight, do you feel distracted? I also have this image in my mind of maybe you've been to the woods. Um, I don't like staying in the woods because I don't like camping, but um, every once in a while I I find myself walking in the woods or at least in a St. Charles kind of woods. And, um, but every once in a while I'll just like walk. Just like start walking around aimlessly. I've I've left my compass, not that I even know what that is, back in the car. Um, And there there have been times where I've just kind of like stopped, didn't know where I was, didn't even really know how I got there, but I, I was there, wandering aimlessly. That's how many of you feel tonight. Uh, One of my favorite lines in any song was by a band named Bleach, one of my favorite bands. Um, Also a good cleaning product and a very, very good band. Um, But the the line says this, uh, how did I get here? Save me from this. It's like this realization, I have no idea how I got to this place but I now realize that I'm here. And I feel like that truth is some of you right now, literally right this second. You've like all of a sudden just woken up from aimless wandering and you're sitting there in that black seat of yours. You're like, oh my goodness, how in the world did I get so distracted? How, how did I get here? I feel aimless, I feel lost, I don't even know where I'm going anymore. Paul is trying to help this church in Corinth, listen, listen, you get this amazing freedom in Christ to obey in every situation and in every circumstance, okay? Then he goes on to affirm this whole truth again in verse 20. He says, each one should remain, the second time that he's made the same statement, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Now, would he say, all right, you you were a prostitute in Corinth. You've come to Christ. Now you should still be a prostitute. Would he say that? No. No, of course not. He would say, you know what? You should repent of being a harlot, and you should not be a prostitute anymore. Experience the freedom of Christ. But what he's pointing to is, hey, Corinth, You've you've spent your life, or at least your Christian life so far, thinking that there's something better, but you're missing what's right underneath your nose. The relationship that's been there for years, it's right there. The co-worker that you've waited or waitress next to. And I mean, it's been right there for years or months and months and months. And God is, I mean, just opening the flood. This person's even pursuing you and asking you questions because they can tell you have some kind of semblance of joy. And yet, in your mind, you're like, yeah, this is just a job. What? 
Anytime a believer, including myself, ever says it's just a something, do you understand what we're doing with this life? We're taking it, making it our own, and throwing it in the trash. It's just a what? It's just a job? No, every single one of these seconds and minutes and hours and years that we spend is life. And life in Christ and freedom in Christ. Every single relationship, every single job, every single family member. All opportunities to be ambassadors of a living God. He says, remain there. You don't need a clean slate. In every relationship, Corinth Christians, you need to see now the opportunities that you have to share Christ right now in this situation and circumstance. So then he gives us a really, really intense picture. He says this in verse 21. Were you a bondservant when called? Okay. Were you a slave? Uh, do not be concerned about it. <laughs> but if you gain your freedom, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. In other words, look, if you're, if you're a slave, you've now come to Christ. You're a bondservant. You're connected to a human master. Okay. He literally says, don't worry about it. Because even in that situation where you're like, no, nah, I'm a bondservant. There's no way I could possibly win over my master and, and, and share the power. No, no, no. Even in that situation, he does say, look, if you can gain your freedom or in this case, pay for your freedom, do so or, or take the opportunity, verse 22, for he, who, uh, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Let me liken it to you. Some of you feel very trapped by your situation. Uh, some of you feel like you're like tied up with like 75 zip ties, okay, which is my personal, like there's nothing better than a zip tie, amen, right? If you have an amen all night, hopefully now, right? I mean, there's just nothing, nothing better than a zip tie. But some of you feel like you're just bound, trapped. You feel like you're in complete bondage. Paul's whole point is, listen, no matter how, how bound you feel in the flesh, do you understand that even in the most like trapped sense that you'll ever have, you're a freed man in Christ. Guys, I don't know what better truth you or I could hear tonight than that. Because the reality is, life hurts. And you lose things and you suffer. And all of a sudden, this thing that seems so secure slips through your fingers again. And all of a sudden, you start to feel like you're, you're hurtling up in all of your pain and misery. But Paul reminds his readers and now us, no, 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 listen, in all situations, you're a freed man in Christ. Likewise, likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Now you're a, a slave to righteousness, Romans says, beautiful language. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not then become bondservants of men which was a huge struggle in Corinth. Oh, I'm of, I'm of Apollos. Oh, I'm of Paul. They wanted to be a slave of man. Uh, so when, when you want a good quote, you go to old dead people. And my, my particular favorite is Spurgeon. You ready to get your face ripped? Check this out. Spurgeon, here we go. Do not follow even good men slavishly. Even good men. Do not say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Calvin, I am of Wesley. Look at, look at, look at uh, Spurgeon. Did Calvin redeem you? 
Did Wesley die for you? Who is Calvin and who is Wesley? But ministers by whom ye believe. That's right, we get a ye in tonight. There we go. By whom ye believed as the Lord gave unto you. Do you not so surrender yourself to any leadership that you would rather follow of the man than his what? Come on, than his master? This is beautiful language. I will follow anybody if he goes Christ's way. And we could just call it a night on that. I'll follow anybody, but I will follow nobody by the grace of God if he does not go in that direction. Um, If you haven't had a chance tonight yet to examine what's happening in and around you, uh, let me ask it this way. Next slide. feel like you're a slave to man. You feel like you send that text. Your sole motive is to get the reply that will caress the insecurity. Ever feel like you make the post with the sole intention of not promoting the glory of God or the worship there within, but instead in the hopes that the right people will see and the right people will comment and the right people will take your weak, feeble self and give you even just a snippet of hope. Again, I feel that some of you have been waiting on moments like this all of your life. You feel trapped by the approval of man. You're realizing even right now as you sit there that your life is spent seeking it. That seeking puts you on a consistent spiral that doesn't free any man, but that puts men back in the same bondage that scripture says Christ has released. And I hate that for you. As one who has experienced that, as one who's battled that, listen, one of our greatest graces in Christ is we don't have to be a slave of any man. We're a freed man in Christ. There's no word of affirmation that can come from a man that will change my identity like a cross in an empty tomb. I've been in ministry since I was 16 years old. And people have said all kinds of things about me all the years of my life. And I will confess to you, there have been seasons where they have affected me. There have been times and periods of my life where because of my own sin and insecurity, I was wrapped around those comments like a thread. But right now, I feel so freed in Christ to obey and serve him, no matter matter what man may say. And that is an incredibly powerful place to be because it has nothing to do with you or you and everything to do with what he's doing. Then he ends this way. He says for the third time, verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain, what's the word? Come on, 
with God. No matter what situation, no matter what kind of marriage, no matter what things have seemed so heavy, remain there. You get a clean slate in terms of your sins are forgiven. Remain there. I've asked you three questions tonight. Do you feel like you've spent most of your time waiting? Do you feel distracted? Do you feel like you are a slave to man? All of these things create bondage in terms of our obedience to God. But maybe the greater bondage is how we view obedience in general. I think that we have a perception of obedience that couldn't be more errant. In fact, I'll say it this way. I think that we put obedience in levels or categories or systems. Next slide. Our perception. Levels of obedience in our perception. We begin here in the basic. The basic level. This is the, of course you're going to love people who love you. God calls us to love people, so of course I'm going to follow God in that way. I mean, that's basic. That's elementary. Uh, We don't like following the basic pieces because it's a given that we'll be able to do that. And ultimately, the sinful piece of us, we, we want recognition when we obey. We get used to it, right? We obey our parents, and, and many of us have grown up in, in, in great systems of reward. Right? Like, I, I obey, and, you know, I, I get rewarded. I read a book, I get a free, you know, personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. Right? Like, it's, it's, it's the system of, of, of reward. Well, the basics are a given. Well, of course you're going to love someone who loves you. Like, anyone, anyone can do that. And so we don't live here often. We don't want to be here often. It's a category. But what we're really interested in, what we're great at, I mean, what we've brought the tents and the sleeping bags and just exist in is this level of obedience, is the comfortable. Woo, the comfortable. Man, it feels good to obey Christ and, and to exist in this, this very like cultural uh, kind of Christianity that's very, very safe and cautious. But because everyone collectively is safe and cautious, we convince ourselves that that's Christianity. The the bar of following Christ has been culturally lowered so far beyond Scripture, and because most of us are adhering to it, we believe that that's the new Scripture. It's comfortable. It's It's a, oh, we're obeying Christ. We even sing about it. We talk about it. We confess it. Oh, we're obeying I mean, we're not going to obey like if, if it goes too far or extends us, you know, beyond our own giftings or understanding. But I mean, I mean as long as we hang right here, remember Hitch? As long as we hang like right here, all's going to be just fine. Okay. All's going to be just fine. I mean, seriously, some of you are a Boy Scout and a Girl Scout in this, in this category. I mean, you've camped out for years there. You know what I'm saying? This is where you live. This is where you spend your life. There's another category. The scary What we do most often with this category is we tiptoe in it. All of a sudden we're reading our scripture and and we see the command from Christ, the freedom of Christ to love our enemies. And we're like, oh my goodness, okay, so yeah, I have this enemy, all right, all right, I want to obey you, Christ, and so you, you start getting a little bit closer to the scary, a little bit farther out of the comfortable, and you tip your little, your little big toe up in there, right, And all of a sudden, you extend grace to your enemy. 
It was unmerited. It was undeserved. They were still cussing you. They just flipped you, uh, they just flipped you the bird. But you're still love, you're loving them. You extend grace. You say you, for, uh, that you forgive them. And then the moment that they don't receive you, that they don't give you a big bear hug, the moment they don't write the thank you note, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. When I go into the scary, man, like bad things happen there. Uh, things I wasn't expecting. You get hurt in the scary. So I'm just going to go back to the comfortable. I'm going to go back to what feels right. Before we even move any further, do you see how damaging this is in a lost and dying world? Because when I read the scripture, I see no promise of comfort. I see no promise of convenience. And instead what I see is people dying. People dying. That's what I see. That's what I read. People say, my life is not my own. Take it. And yet here we are with our down blanket of Christianity, just enjoying the niceties. We don't want the scary. And we definitely don't want this final category in green, the untouchable. The untouchable is reserved for the hardcore saints. I mean, those who are like Mother Teresa-ish category for Jesus kind of people, right? Like, listen, only Paul the Apostle was called to get on a ship and preach the gospel to the, to the inmates there and, and then get shipwrecked and, and then land on the island and get snake bitten and then preach the gospel to the islanders. That's all for the har- hardcore. And you, like, already are picturing some hardcore people in your mind. You're like, yes, 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 those, those people. You don't even think about it. That's reserved for another kind of category, another kind of people. The reason why this text has got to me so much is because I examine my life and I see how I have categorized obedience and I hate it. I've done this and I despise it. so easy it's so easy to live in the comfortable and convince myself that I'm obeying the problem is obedience doesn't have a category you don't break down obedience into the hardcore and the less it's he's commanded it as a freedom and a grace to us and we get to follow it beautiful thing about obedience is that we get to continually be brought to the end of ourself reminded that we're not the ones that matter but what was happening in Corinth is they were really believing that they mattered that's why we should reverse circumcision that's why we should get out of this marriage that's why we should do this convincing themselves that they were doing it for the Lord but really they were doing it for themselves what have you convinced yourself what have I convinced myself that I'm doing it for the Lord when ultimately it's for me In the name of Jesus, I sit in the comfortable for the cause of Christ. And yet, there's nothing about the cause of Christ that's comfortable. Minus the comfort of his love. I hate it. I hate that it's in me. 
So I've tried to articulate some of the things I've been sensing. Maybe some of the things that you're feeling now. Because I think sometimes it's just best to confess to the Lord where you're at. I'd say it this way. God, I'm scared. God, the last time I went into the scary category, I got burnt. It hurt. I don't want to go there again, God. I feel like some of you have never confessed to God that you're scared. It's like you've convinced yourself somehow that if you can just convince God that that you're not scared, then you're not. God, I'm scared. I want to obey you fully, but I'm struggling with how it will affect me here and now. God, if I obey you fully, what will I lose? God, if I, obey you, if I obey you fully, what position will it put my family in? I'm willing to follow you, God, but it better not cause, uh, it better not cause to, to change my affluence or it better, better not cause a change in pay. I... I want to trust you, but I struggle trusting anything. And honestly, I even struggle trusting you. God, I'm scared. This text has done a work on my heart. Because in every fiber of my being, I desperately want to obey Christ. Not to make my name great, not so that people will look at me and say, oh, oh, look at the obedient servant. But because I know I was bought at a price, I know that price was expensive, and I feel like I get the opportunity to worship the one who saved me. But I feel like I've defined that. I feel like I've told him how, all, how, how I will obey. And I'm tired of that. Anyone else? I'm tired of that. God, I'm scared. And I know some of you guys are too. The disciples were scared too. One of my favorite stories in the scripture, it's not gonna be on your screen. I, I just want you to hear this. In Luke chapter 8, one day he got into a boat with his disciples. Some of you guys remember this story. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus fallen asleep. And a windstorm came down the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, the disciples, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Can you imagine that moment? Jesus is sleeping. They're they're fearful for their life. They're scared. And they're literally shaking. We're scared. 
Do something. We're all going to die out here. And he awoke. And he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And my Bible says, and they ceased. And there was a, does anyone know what? And there was a what? It was a calm. And he said to them an amazing question. He says, where is your faith? And they were afraid. Listen to this. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? They said a truth but they proved they didn't believe it. They said that everything obeyed him, even the winds and the waves, but then days later, they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. That truth of who Jesus was hadn't yet become real in them. But then all of a sudden, as John 14 already alludes to, as Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, the same Holy Spirit that resides in you and I in Christ, then all of a sudden this ragtag B-team fisherman crew, emboldened by the Spirit of God, all of a sudden they start dying. All of a sudden they start believing and then living that the one who calmed the winds and the waves, who the winds and the waves obeyed, that they now get to obey that God. And so they said, wherever, whatever, and however, help us obey. I guarantee you there were still moments where they said, we're scared. But my friends, they got to exist, not in the categories of obedience, but in the beauty of obeying a God who is worth obeying. I know some of you are so scared. Our hope is in Christ. That's why tonight we can come to the table. The world has literally spent their years looking on the other side of the fence. And you and I get to sit even on the the brown side of the grass and say, yeah, but God's put us here. And it's for his glory. And all of your fear and all of your trepidation and all of your wondering tonight about obedience, you get to come tonight as a believer and celebrate the broken body of Christ. Pulling off a piece of of the bread and dipping it in the cup. This walk to this meal tonight being for you maybe a confession of fear and asking God to empower you like he's never done before. And then you and I together will be ambassadors of a God who's alive not communicators of a God who's dead. Church, come and share in this meal.
this perfect love casts out all fear.